The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church. Well, good morning. If you take your Bibles to... Uh... Isaiah 8, we're going to read in just a little bit, Isaiah 8, 22, and then we're going to read through 9, 7 together here in just a little bit here. So, and by the way, I don't know if you heard, um, but uh, Allison Piantanias uh, fell down and broke her wrist, elbow, uh, wrist, arm, I think that's what it was. And uh, so if you'd pray for her, Bob went to I guess she, she was out ice skating. So I don't know where you ice skate this time of year in Texas, but somewhere. And so anyway, if you'll pray for her just for healing and for Bob as he goes to uh, minister to her and pick her up. Uh, so anyway, I want to let you know about that also. Well, this morning, uh, the title of the message is It's Not Going to Be Dark Forever. And this is part of really our idea of the proclamation and joy, uh, our third Sunday of Advent. And I know I've, I've said this many times before, and, and I know I'm repeating myself uh, at Christmas time, but, but I really love Christmas time. I, I, I love the decorations. Uh, I mean, look at the beautiful decorations. <laughs> um, the lights, you know, I love the food. Uh, I love the presents. I, re- I really love everything that's kind of associated with Christmas. And, and as some of you know, and some of you despise me for it, uh, I enjoy the Hallmark Channel. Now, and again, I'm man enough to say it, so I just want you to know that. And I don't mind the beginning of, of celebrating Christmas very early. You know, September is good with me. You know, you can start as early as you want, and I'm good with that. Because in many ways, all that is good about life is celebrated at Christmas. Family, friends normally get together to, to enjoy God's great gifts that he actually told us in First Timothy that he provides us with everything to enjoy, he tells us. But I also know this. I also know that none of these things happen outside of a life with a rich relationship with the one who created all things. And without a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ, all that stuff that I just talked about is just that, it's just stuff. But with Christ, it's a reason to celebrate his goodness and his love and and his provision. And, And most of all, This time of the year, obviously, is when we celebrate the greatest gift that we've ever received, and that is the God-man, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was this gift of Jesus and his work on a cross at Calvary that allows us even to enjoy Christmas. Because now in Christ, we see what's most important, what's most satisfying, and what gives God the glory he deserves. And I always think about, is there, is there really any more beautiful verse in all of Scripture that, that describes the Christmas gift of Jesus other than John 3.16? I mean, just think about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not sure there's a more beautiful verse than that in all of Scripture concerning really Christmas. But... Not everyone has such an optimistic outlook on the Christmas season. Uh, For some, they do not know the Christ of Christmas intimately as Lord and Savior. And for others who claim to know the intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, they've allowed in some ways to allow the darkness of this world, really sin that so overwhelms the world, to become the focus of their lives. 
And so darkness has seemingly overrun the, the light that once was as bright as the sun. And there, then there are some that have no relationship with Christ. And they are deep in the darkness of the bondage of sin. And, and they can't escape because they're spiritually dead. They, they are totally depraved. There's no spiritual life in them. And so this morning, I hope to show you from God's word that there is hope, uh, that in the darkness you feel, some of you might be followers of Jesus, but you're just feeling a sense of darkness, that darkness that seems to surround you, that there is something stronger and greater than that darkness. And so it's not gonna be dark forever. Now, I know I've told you this story before, but I'm gonna tell you again. It's the story of, of George Frederick Handel, um, who wrote that famous opera, The Messiah, you know that. But he apparently was in a deep, deep depression and darkness before he wrote this. His, his life wasn't a peaceful life. He, he had a hot temper and frequently he was involved with fights with other musicians. Often I get in a fight with Caleb. And, um, <laughs> and at 52, he suffered a stroke which prevented him actually from performing the spinet, which he loved to play. Apparently his right arm was paralyzed a bit. He also had a little bit of a blurred vision and he was having personal uh, issues with royalty that he relied upon for his money. And he was in and out of money frequently. He didn't follow Dave Ramsey and he lost a fortune in the opera business. It's a joke because Dave Ramsey wasn't alive then, but thank you, thank you. But he did lose a fortune in the opera business, I'll tell you that. So here he was, he was depressed, he was in debt and ready to quit the whole music thing before he wrote The Messiah. But in the midst of this darkness, uh, a young poet named Charles Jennings, he came to his door and, and handed him a collection of biblical passages under the title of A Sacred Oratorio. And in his depression and darkness, he, he really at first looked at it with little enthusiasm, but something happened as he began reading the scripture. And guess what he was reading from? Of course, the book of Isaiah and the prophetic utterance concerning the coming of the Messiah. And that began to change the darkness in his soul. So he read Isaiah 9, 6. Wonderful counselor. This is what stirred his soul. Mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And so with that new enthusiasm that came from the scripture, the darkness lifted with greater, and then with great urgency, he wrote one of the most famous pieces of, of music ever written, The Messiah. And he remained in almost complete kind of a seclusion for 25 days and he rarely ate so he wouldn't be interrupted from this composition. And it was reported that, that he would leap into the air, kind of like Kevin often does, waving his hands and shouting hallelujah and as he wrote it. And when he was finished, he said, I think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. And then, you know, tradition says that on his performance in London for King George II, that as the choir began to perform the Hallelujah Chorus, the king was so stirred that he rose to his feet and all the audience did follow the king, of course. And ever since then, if you've ever been uh, to the Messiah, you know that when the Hallelujah Chorus comes, uh, everybody rises up. Now, with that said, here's what I want to accomplish this morning. Maybe some of you will write a world-famous opera after we look at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Maybe not, okay? I'm going to settle for seeing the joy of the future glory and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that will be imparted to you by this scripture this morning. I know the power of these words. I know they can take you from the realm of darkness into the glorious light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's my prayer this morning of what will occur as we look at this passage. And will you now stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word? We're gonna read verses, again, Isaiah 8, 22 through verse seven. This is the word of the Lord. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for who who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, the, the context of this passage, just to give us some background before we explore it a little bit, see how it applies to us, is, is the invasion of the Assyrian army against the northern part of Israel. So the prophecy has been made that the Israelites uh, are going to be overcome by the Assyrians. And the focus of this particular section is on the destruction that took place in Samaria in 722 BC. But it also includes the invasion of Judah at that time also. So in chapter 8, we didn't read all of it, but you start to see God's judgment against Israel. And it's going to be swift. And nothing is going to stop that judgment. But God promises deliverance for the country if they will fear the Lord. But great despair and devastation will come to those who are idolaters, is what he tells them in chapter 8. Now, I want us to notice first, I want you to notice first with me the present darkness in this passage. Look at verse 22 again. It says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, three things that I want you to notice, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Now, the, the hope of the removal of the judgment illustrated by the concept of darkness is assured. It's, we just read it. It says, but there will be no gloom for her, that is for Israel, who was in anguish. But the fact is they are now in present darkness. And the question is, well, what does that look like? What, what does it mean for us then even to be in this kind of darkness? And the words that are mentioned here help us understand a little bit about what this is all about. First of all, you notice he uses the word distress. And that word is, is related to the idea of being fearful. So in other words, when all the world comes crashing down on us, we begin to be fearful of everything. And that's what was happening to Israel. The whole world obviously was crashing down on them. But we become fearful for all kinds of different things. We're, we're fearful for our safety 
and, and the safety of those that we love. We, we fear sometimes about how we're going to die. I don't know about you, but now that I'm older, I guess, I start thinking, well, how am I going to die? Is it going to be quickly? I'm morbid, aren't I? Is it going to be a, a lingering disease? Alzheimer's maybe, has that already set in? Uh, being alone, I mean, what's going to happen when I die? We also, we fear about having a meaningless life too. We, all of us, every once in a while, we just stop and, and take inventory. and We go, does my life really mean anything? We, we fear about being unloved or, or alone. And we fear that when we are in love, that, that we'll, we're gonna somehow be hurt by that love perhaps. We fear we might lose things, you know, like hair, um, our youth, our mind, money, job, spouse, health, hobbies, purpose, uh, or even, even our faith sometimes. We, we wonder, we go, are, am I gonna hold on to this? But that's what distress is all about. And then there's another word he uses. It's just the word, simply the word darkness here in this passage. Um, I remember reading an article not too long ago about two explorers who, who took on the mission of living alone in this dark, desolate cave for months. And the purpose was to test the effects of isolation, of loneliness and darkness. And, and they don't have the company of one another. They, they lived in separate caves, apparently a few hundred yards apart. So one spent 88 days in the cave while another spent 126 days in this dark cave. And when they came out of the caves, their sense of time was severely warped. One of the explorers came out in March, on March 12th, but he thought it was February 25th. The other one came out on April 5th and he thought it was February 4th. And even stranger was that their, their sleeping patterns. I mean, one, one slept for actually for 30 hours at a time. Some of you are going, Oh, how I wish for that, 30 hours at a time. But they, were, but they awakened thinking they just had a short nap. In total darkness and isolations, apparently the studies have come out to say that humans can stretch their sleep cycles out for 48 hours. That would be amazing, it's 48 hours. And then other experiments like this cause, these, cause people to hallucinate, but everyone who was in this darkness all lost the ability to make judgments. And they would wake up not knowing whether it was night or day. And the point learned was that humans need light or darkness will produce a distortion of judgment. And how true that is when we're in darkness of our life, our judgment is distorted to the things around us. When we live in the darkness of our own selfishness, in the darkness of our own sin, all of life seems to be distorted sometimes. You know, even to the point where what's good is bad. Good things happen to us and we, we find a way for that to be bad. Sometimes we think that like everyone's out to get us, a little paranoia setting in, that happens sometimes. Uh, do you ever feel like no one likes you at all? That kind of darkness? Or, or even when people are kind to you, you, you go, I wonder why they're being kind to me. There must be a reason that they're being kind to me. And the passage here describes this in verse two as deep darkness. It says that they dwelt in a land of deep darkness. But there's a third word he uses to describe this darkness and it's the word anguish in this passage. Anguish or, or suffering. The darkness of sin, the darkness of hopelessness, the darkness of depression brings suffering. It's, it brings anguish. That feeling like you can't go on you ever feel that way? The feeling like there's truly no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. The feeling that nothing is ever going to be right again. Anguish, 
this awful suffering. But the question is, well, why is there, what caused all this darkness? For Israel, it was because they abandoned their God and they refused his testimony or his prophecies and the law. And the question for us is, when, when, when anguish and distress and darkness is present, is why do we have that? Well, have we, for instance, abandoned our God? Have we refused his testimony? In other words, his prophecies and his law. When we were studying this summer the nature of, of what faith was all about from Hebrews chapter 11, it was all about, faith was all about believing the promises of God. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. And that's exactly what's happening to the people of Israel. And that's what happens to us. When we're in this darkness, we, we really abandon the prophecies or the promises of God. But there is good news. And the good news is that there's hope, great hope. In fact, isn't that really the theme of the gospel? That when we're hopelessly lost in darkness, there is someone who will deliver us from this darkness even when we deserve it. You know, this, this week I was teaching, um, I was do, doing some teaching on world religions. So I was teaching about Hinduism and in particular, just the sad thing of Hinduism about reincarnation. You know, they have to constantly reincarnate until they reach nirvana, you know, and so this constant worrying in this life of if I mess up, I'm gonna be reincarnated as something worse and the cycle's gonna continue. How awful to live with that kind of hopelessness. And then I was actually teaching about Mormonism this week too. And, and the whole point of Mormonism is do all you can do and then you trust Jesus for the rest. But of course, the Jesus isn't the Jesus that we know of. He's a, a man, um, was a, somebody who once was a man who became a God of sorts. But still, that's what you do. You do all you can and then you, you hope for that. And then the Jehovah Witnesses, I, I was talking about them this week too, and just no assurance of all of heaven. Of course, they have a, a wrong view of who Jesus is too, but just there's no hope in all this. But the good news and the great hope is that we are not hopelessly lost in darkness. And so I want you to notice now the promise deliverance, the promise deliverance. Look at verse two. It says that the people who walk in darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they devoid the spoil. You see, in the midst of this great darkness, this passage tells us there's a great light, a promised deliverance. And I want to just mention two encouraging thoughts before we look at some of the aspects of this promised deliverance. But I want you to notice that this hope is sure. The, this is what's amazing about this passage. The tense of this verse all of a sudden is changed to the past tense. It's a sure thing. So even though it hasn't happened yet, you can act, in other words, what Isaiah is saying is, you can act as if it has happened. He's telling us it's really already happened. It's dark, he says, but a great light is present. But not yet officially. He's writing though as if it's happened to give us a confidence. So he says the people who walked in darkness, he says, have seen a great light, but they really hadn't yet. But it, it was so real. It was so for sure. It was such a sure hope that you could think about it as if it has already happened. 
And again, this didn't mean that the great light would come right away, that is the Messiah. In fact, we know that it was several hundred years later before Jesus came. But we could act, or rather, we must act as if he is here right now, is what he was telling them. So here's the encouragement, that even during darkness, we can know that God has a plan and a purpose, a deliverance for us. Brian Chappell says this, he says, I love this quote, he says, if our world is not to overwhelm us, we must know that what we see is not the full reality. You get that? What we see is not the full reality because you see someday, this is all gonna end. Christ returns and that's part of Advent, looking for the coming of Christ, uh, his second coming also. He's gonna return the dead in Christ is gonna rise first and we who are alive will be caught up with him in the air and we're gonna be eternity with him. So when it's dark, we have to see the true reality of our savior. And that's what Isaiah is teaching the people of Israel and us. So that's one thing I want you to notice. And then secondly, it's fascinating and encouraging to know that this passage was quoted in Matthew chapter four and verses 12 through 16. And the land that is mentioned in Isaiah, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, it says, is the place where Jesus began his ministry. So now we kind of see and understand the connection between Matthew 4 and Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You see, the northern tribes were the first to suffer from the Assyrian invasions. So God's great mercy that they, they were going to, in God's great mercy, they were going to be the first to actually see the light of the Messiah. So it's here in Isaiah that he sees the future. In Galilee, the beginning of the Messiah's new mission to turn people from their darkness into his glorious light. So it's a fascinating thing that the very people who were in judgment are the first people who were able to see Jesus come. Now, Let's look a little bit at the promised deliverance. What's it look like? Well, he names some things for us. First, he says in verse two, there's a great light. The people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. The, the people of Israel refused to listen to Isaiah chapter two and verse five, where it was said, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. But what God does is he chases those in the darkness by sending the Messiah, the great light, the one who would come and he would say someday, he, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Paul the apostle speaks of this great light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the promised deliverance will be from darkness to light because of the great light. But then secondly, there's increased joy in verse three. You have multiplied the nations. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The ministry of the Messiah is gonna bring an increase in the numbers of the people of God. It was prophesied. The kingdom of God is gonna expand for the glory of God. Multitudes are gonna be turned from darkness to light in great joy. And they're gonna rejoice with the joy of the harvest after all the hard work that's done in the fields and it's harvest time. It pays off with great joy. And they, and they rejoice 
Literally, this, this passage is like when you win a championship in a, in a celebration of victory in a locker room. They're, they're rejoicing that, that increased joy. And so what Jesus does, he leads us from a pit of despair to the increased joy of, of many who come to faith in Christ, many who rejoice at the work of the hands for the kingdom, and many who are glad as they celebrate the goodness of God. You know what? That's how we must think at Living Acts Church. We must believe that God is going to do a greater work than he's done even now. And that someday there will be more and more people and more important, more people who will have this increased joy because of coming to saving faith in Christ. But thirdly, in this, there's this complete victory. Look at verse three or verse four. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, what, what does that all mean? Well, the yoke of, the, of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, it's the picture of us burdened down with the cares of the day or the sin in our life and that which brings that darkness and that distress and that anguish that we talked about. That what the Messiah does, what Christ does is he removes the burden from the ox and that's the context here. He relieves us from all the oppression of others. And now we're just kind of free from that human oppression. And then just as he did at Midian, it says, where you remember the story of Midian where he empowers Gideon to achieve a seemingly impossible victory. He, he pared down from Gideon's army from 32,000 down to just 300. And yet that army still prevailed in victory. It's the same for us. It's, it's our victory in Christ. It's, it's complete and that finally leads us to peace in verse five, where every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. So here, in other words, complete peace is in sight. No boots or war stained garments are needed any longer. In fact, they can be used for fuel for the fire. Now that present darkness looked formidable. Our lives have often looked or have looked formidable as if there's no hope, depressed, despised, anguished, no hope. But then what do we see? Well, we just said, we, we see the promised deliverance. The great light appears, the Messiah coming to save his people from his sins. There's this increased joy, the people of God multiply. We have joy as if in harvest time, we celebrate the spoils of victory. And then there's this complete victory as Midian won out because of the power of God alone. So we live in that victory and then there's the peace, this sweet, beautiful peace. No more war, no more struggles. And that day is promised for those who trust in Christ. Yet the reality is we will still suffer on this earth, but there is hope for that day of complete victory. That's what Advent's all about, really. It's a, the hope of complete victory. So we must live and walk as if that victory is today, even during our time of suffering. But I want us to finally see this this perfect design that he gives us. Because the question is, how's this all gonna happen? How, how are we gonna, how, things, how are things gonna happen that things are gonna be defeated? How do we know that it's really not gonna be dark forever? What did God design to bring us from this darkness to light? Really, this is what Christmas is all about. The one who comes is the Messiah, the promised one. 
In verses six and seven, we really see a great proclamation and joy here. This is as if back in the old days, you know, the guy would go in the middle of the town and he'd have this little scroll and he'd open it up and he'd go, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, and all that stuff. That's what this is. It's a big proclamation and joy. Hear ye, hear ye, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will be, first of all, God and man. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 100% man, 100% God. A child is born, a son, God the Son is given. And if he were not fully man, he could never stand in the place of sinful man and be a substitute for the punishment we deserve. And if he were not fully God, he could not bear the full penalty for all the sins of those who would believe in him. Any finite creature could not possibly bear the wrath of God. Salvation is from the Lord. God saves sinners. And it was necessary that Jesus was God for that reason. But then he also was a ruler. It says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. One day he will rule completely over all things. And there will be no rivals to him as there are today. Although this is true now in one sense, he does rule and reign. He will one day physically rule over all as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will be a wonderful counselor. That word wonderful really has the idea of a, a supernatural counselor, a king who lives, who rules with wisdom unlike any human who has ever lived. He's a mighty God, and that's a title for God himself. He is divine yet human again. He's omnipotent. He's a supreme ruler. He's an everlasting father, and that's not to be confused with the New Testament idea of the name for God the Father. This has the idea of a benevolent protector. He will protect his people as a good father does his children. He's the prince of peace who bring to mankind the peace that's promised. No more wars, no more sorrows, only the peace of God in Christ Jesus. And it says that the empire of this peace will never end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule on David's throne forever and he rules with perfect justice. But here's the big part of it. And all this is done by the zeal of the Lord of hosts and not man. God does all this. So we, we, can, we can rely upon him knowing he will take care of all of this. So I wanna end with these thoughts today. Simple thoughts. Are you living in a type of darkness today? Are you, are you living with a, a, a discouragement, a depression, a fearfulness? And maybe you're, you're involved with some sin that needs to be repented of. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the simple thing is to turn in repentance and faith. Embrace today what is true now. Open your eyes to what Isaiah promised. The, the people who walked in darkness, what? They have seen a great light. This Jesus that we, we love and adore and we worship, he loves you, he cares for you, and he promises to give you all you need for this dark world. This life with Christ, though, is not easy. And anybody that tells you that, they don't have the gospel right. The gospel isn't, God has a wonderful plan for your life and, and he'll do everything for you and everything's gonna be perfect. Well, he might have a wonderful plan for your life, but everything's not gonna be perfect. That's not the way it works. In fact, he told us very clearly, he said, you take up your cross and follow him. 
And everybody knows what a cross is. A cross is a picture of death. It's our electric chair. It's the big needle that they stick in to kill people. That's really what it is. It's a picture of death, of suffering in the most cruel form possible. But in the midst of that suffering, we're, we're to be encouraged in the midst of that suffering because those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them, he has light shone. He shines the light. And you today, if you're suffering in darkness, but you have no hope, no joy, because maybe you've never truly embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I, I encourage you today to trust him today, to turn to him, ask him simply to forgive you of your sin and to turn from those sins. And what is his promise? His promise is to forgive and declare you to be righteous in his sight. When you, by repentance and faith, trust him, he bangs that great gavel as the judge of the universe and he says, you're not guilty. Your sins are forgiven. And then he does this crazy thing. He imputes or he brings his righteousness and he places upon you. So what does God see? The father sees you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And the story's simple. <laughs> it's a simple story. God became a man. Jesus was his name. He lived a perfect life. He became the sacrifice for our sins upon a cross. He, he paid our sins by taking upon himself the wrath of the father. He died. He was buried and he rose again to defeat death forevermore. And he did this for all who would believe in him. So here's what my admonition for you today is. Get out of the dark and into the light. Be encouraged during the Christmas season that the light has shone. He is present and he is coming again. And the scriptures tell us to be prepared for his coming. No man knows the day, nobody knows the hour, but we are to be one who prepares. We pray with me. Father, thank you for this beautiful passage in Isaiah. God, thank you for the beautiful music that came out of it, even with Handel's Messiah. God, thank you for the way you changed us. You made us anew. You imparted to us new spiritual life so that we could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we did, Father, we were declared righteous in your sight. And God, here's my prayer. My prayer is this morning, if there are believers here this morning who have, are in darkness, God, will you lift them out of darkness today? Will you help them to, even as George Handel, Lord, when he read those verses, how it changed his life. Lord, will you bring people out of this darkness into your marvelous light? And Father, I do pray, if there are some here who don't know you, God, will you please impart to them new spiritual life? God, that they could believe in you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.